Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here with another episode of the SBL podcast. And today we've got the awesome Ian Stewart with us, who was actually introduced to me by Damien Erskine, who is coming up on the podcast actually in a few weeks' time. Um, the story goes, the story goes, um, I'm used to telling stories. Obviously, I still t- tell stories every night to my kids. Uh, but the story goes, essentially, Damien Erskine was doing a live seminar for the uh, for the academy members over at scottsbassessons.com. And after his seminar, he he emailed me and said, hey, have you got anybody doing like Latin and Cuban bass lines? And to which I replied, no, I haven't. And he said, you need to check out this guy called Ian Stewart. And, and I did so. Ian is the author of the John Benitez Bass Method book, volume one, Freedom in the Clave, a rhythmic approach to bass playing. Um, he's also played with the amazing Chicago bass band Marbin. He's played with a host of New York Cuban artists, and he has a really interesting and I think super inspiring story in how he became so heavily involved within that Cuban music scene in New York. I'll let him tell you all about it in this interview, but I think you're going to, I think you're going to find this this interview really great. I really enjoyed um, hanging out with Ian and talking with him and just finding out about his story and, you know, all those shenanigans. So I think you're really, you're really going to dig it. Uh, before we get into the interview, I just want to say, uh, again, thanks for all the, the comments that have been coming in about iBase Magazine and the brand new issue that we've just launched. Um, you may or may not know, but iBase Magazine, the digital magazine we're going to be bringing you every month from scottsbasslessons.com, well, it, it's, you know, it's in the Scots Bass Lessons family now. iBase did exist before, but from July onwards, it came into the Scots Bass Lessons family, and we released our first issue on July 1st. Uh, with Will Lee on the cover. The response from the entire bass community has been absolutely mind-blowing. So if you have jumped on board with iBase magazine, just a shout out to you and just say, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I can't believe that so many people are just being so supportive over this. So I really, really do want to say thank you to you all. And remember to celebrate the launch of the new issue and the fact that iBase magazine is now being brought to you by Scott's Bass Essence every month. We're going to offer, well, or we are right now offering an amazing special offer um, running, well, running to the end of July where you can get an, an, an annual subscription for the magazine for under $2 a month. That, under $2 a month, I think it's like $1.60 or something like that. And that's for 12 issues running forward. And on top of that, we've also got an option where you can get an annual subscription plus the back issue bundle, which has 27, I think 26, 27 issues in. And they've had some crazy artists on the covers as well, guys like Victor Wooten. So, you know, check it out. Just go to iabasemag.com and check it out before you miss it. Again, that's running till the end of July and and then it'll be coming down. So it's a super, super cool deal just for everybody that's, you know, supporting scottsbassessence.com. And again, thank you guys for jumping on this deal already. If you have done, the support has been utterly overwhelming. Can't believe it. Now, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, I'll send you all of my bass love if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us get the word out about these interviews, guys. And I really think there's so much to be learned from listening to great bass players such as the guests that we have on the show. And if you're listening to this anywhere else other than scottsbasslessons.com, make sure you shoot over to the site and check out the show notes for this episode as I've put some fantastic videos up. Now, if you're completely new to Scott's Bass Lessons, go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash 
toolkit. Okay, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. I put some really cool video resources that you can download on there and check out, like a bass buyer's guide. We've got um, a video where I talk about how to get gigs, great gigs, wherever you are in the world. So if you're moving to a new city or you're trying to break into the scene where you are, I'll give you some great tips for that. We've got an understanding the modes mini course. We've got a backing track library. There's loads of stuff in there. It's totally free for you to download. Just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. And also, remember, if you're an Academy member over at scottsbasslessons.com, you can watch the entire video version of this interview as well, okay? We film the entire thing as we do with all our podcasts. We film all of them. And if you're not already an Academy member, just go and check it out over at scottsbassessence.com. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass players in the world. The step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online bass educational community in the world. And those guys are so, so supportive and tons more. The whole nine yards. And we have a completely free 14-day trial for you as well. So you can take it for a test drive just to see if it's for you. And if you find it isn't, no sweat. You can cancel your account within the click of two buttons. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hey guys, how's it going? Scott Devine here from Scott's Bass Lessons and I'm here with the SBL podcast and I've got the awesome Ian Stewart on with us who I was originally introduced to through Damien Erskine. Is that correct? That's right. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And Damien, we, Damien was doing um, some live seminars for the Academy at Scott's Bass Lessons and he just emailed me and he said, you know, you need to get this guy Ian on. He's a monster bass player. And he's really, um, really into the Latin thing and is a real, real source of knowledge on that subject. So emailed you, Ian, and you were like, yeah, let's do it. So you, you did it and, you know, absolutely stoked to have you involved in what we're doing. Um, for anybody that hasn't caught you and, and you know, following on you online, do you want to give people just a, a brief background about, you know, where you, where you came from and how you got into the base in the first place? Sure. Well, there's actually I don't think there's really a whole lot about a whole lot about me online at all. So, so this would probably be a good. Uh, no, yeah, I'm going to write a lot and put it on there for you. So there you go. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, how did I get involved in this? Um, well, I grew up in uh, in Syracuse, New York, uh, which is uh, in the central New York area, right smack dab in the middle of New York State, and it's uh, you know it's not really known for a whole lot other than probably. Uh, you know, the university, you know, Syracuse University. So like, you know, college basketball probably yeah, and, yeah. and, and, uh, salt mines back in the day, but, um, literally salt mines. It was actually famous. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. 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 That's not a metaphor. Um, so actually a few, quite a few, uh, really good jazz musicians came out of that city. Uh, and, uh, like Joe Magnarelli, I don't know the trumpet player, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he was born and raised there. Uh, Jimmy Van Heusen is actually from, Oh really? From, yeah, he's actually from there. Um, Rod Sterling from the Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Walt Weisskopf, you know, plays uh, saxophone with Steely Dan and people yeah. like that. You know, so those those guys were, were were from there. So it does have a little bit of a rich history of professional musicians and you know jazz and things like that. It's uh, there's a lot of good, or there were at one point a lot of good blues uh, blues bands in the area too. Yeah. So, but um, you know, by the time I came along, uh, you know. There wasn't really that much going on. I kind of saw the tail end of the of of kind of when the music scene was good. You of know? that scene, um, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And I was I was lucky. Um, I'll talk about that late, a little bit later, but I was lucky to kind of, you know, get started working in that, you know, at a, at a young age. But uh, I wasn't really interested in music until I think I was about 12, 11 yeah. or 12. Um, I was very into like art and and uh, writing like, you know, like literature and poetry and stuff like that. Yeah. When I was when I was I was a really weird, really weird kid. Uh, you know, one of those guys that Me was just too. like, yeah, yeah, just one of those guys <laughs> that would like sit in the back of the room and, you know, kind of live in his own head. So, you know, I guess that's, you know, perfect for being a musician later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but, um, my father, uh, is actually a really big, uh, fan of, of, of music and actually has really good musical taste. So I really lucked out in that, in that situation because I, I really grew up listening to, um, yeah, he, he has a great record collection. Like, I, I grew up listening to a lot of like, Progressive rock and seventies fusion. He actually didn't really play a lot of uh, popular really? music around the house. Yeah, I mean, like he's mainly. I would say like progressive rock is really his thing. He's one of those like huge like Magna Carta fans, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like I grew up listening to like you know Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you know, Gentle Giant, yeah, King Crimson, a lot of a lot of like middle period Frank Zappa, like Apostrophe Overnight Sensation period yeah, Frank yeah, Zappa. Yeah, yeah. He actually, my, when I was little, my dad used to sing pajama people to me when I was a kid. Um, true story. <laughs> um, so, so yes, yeah, so I was doomed from the beginning. Um, but so he he was like the guy that kind of sort of like got you interested in, in yeah. music. Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, did he when play he saw at the, all? Not, not, not then. He actually, we actually uh, started taking guitar lessons together when I was twelve. And um, I did with my dad too. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, we started together, yeah. It's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, it was um, cool. I think it wasn't so beautiful for my dad because after, you know, kids just pick up things so fast, don't they? And my dad's just like, you know, yeah, damn well, this kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, guitar guitar didn't last very long with me. So, um, uh, you know, I played a little bit of acoustic guitar, you know, and, and we, we, were taking, um, we were taking lessons from like this, like, I mean, the guy was like 80 already when, when we started taking lessons from this guy um joe stagnita stagnita music he had this he had this little uh kind of you know uh music shop that had been around forever slash hoarder's den like yeah, it was just yeah, full, yeah, yeah. full of all sorts of stuff and he was really really cool um i think he actually gave me a lot of like good starting information like he taught me how to read right away he um he uh, was very much into actually, you know. I love. I know you guys love to talk about core tones and stuff like that yeah, on this yeah. on this site. He actually, he actually really instilled that uh, in me very early on. Right you know, showed from me the start, bass, yeah. yeah, right from the start. Showed me that you know, bass lines were basically constructed from from arpeggios and core tones and things like that. So, so that that was that was very, actually very cool. Looking looking back on it, and and um, I was, uh, you know. I got a lot more serious a little a little later. Um, I started playing with um, this uh, uh, like kind of conglomerate jazz ensemble in my community that was the Central New York area, yeah. and uh, we actually we actually would participate in that that Lincoln Center competition. Oh the, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah. Until they you know made uh, conglomerate groups not eligible anymore, but. Um, but that that was cool. So I got to do that in high school, and I you know I started playing upright. Uh, I was going to say, when did the bass start happening? Because that was that on guitar you were playing at that point. No, 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 no. Bass had already come in at that point. Oh I, really? I, I knew, yeah, yeah. I I went into the whole thing knowing that I wanted to play bass. I, I you know there was something about maybe because I didn't know about the bass all that much. There was a certain mystique to it. Yeah. 
you know, and then I, I remember actually I was listening to, uh, with my dad, I was listening to the first Black Sabbath album. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know that uh, that solo that Geezer Butler has, the behind the wall, right before NIB, where yeah, he's yeah. like company by himself. I remember hearing that, and it was like this weird, sludgy sounding instrument. And uh, you know, I just kind of like, what what is that? You know, my dad's like, oh, that's you know, that's a bass solo. I'm like, that's a bass. That's what people have been talking about. You know, like that's what my my friends have been mentioning. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, without a reference point, you have no idea what it is. You yeah, know? yeah. Kind of have to hear it isolated by itself. So, um. So that you know, I kind of had that bug in my head, you know, of of oh, I want to try, I want to play the bass. That sounds that sounds interesting. And how old were you when you started playing the bass? Oh, I mean, within the first year of playing guitar, I, I oh switched. really? So the switch yeah, was I super switched over. fast. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do it. You know, they you know my the, the teacher that that guy uh, wanted me to learn a little bit of guitar first, so I could get an idea of what treble clef was yeah. and and all that kind of stuff. But he could tell that I really wasn't interested in the guitar at all. So um, he he you know eventually. Uh, surrendered to me i guess and but <laughs> let me go over to uh let me go over to bass and yeah and it was it was it, i i kind of the funny thing was is like i immediately uh took to it i thought it looked cool i thought it was felt cool it was like everything about it was yeah. was was interesting so um so i took to it you know i just kind of got obsessed i somehow I also said to myself that this is what I was going to do for a living from the get go i don't know i'm really you, know, you just had that instilled in your mind you just like yeah yeah Somebody told me that you could that you could be a professional musician, and that just sounded like the coolest thing ever. So, uh, and was your dad like for that? Was he like, yeah, this is cool? Obviously, he's like a big music. Oh yeah, fan. oh yeah, oh totally, totally. Um, uh, yeah, my parents have uh, have always have always um, you know uh, supported uh, supported my my decision my decision to do that, um, yeah. and so I, I've always been pretty pretty thankful of that. And like, they never who were your influences they never, back then? Huh? Who were your influences back then? Well, um, you know, mostly, I mean, you know, I, I was born in 1985, so, um, you know, it was a combination of my dad's record collection and, you know, what was kind of uh, popular for, you know, uh, kids in my age group, you know, in my general demographic, you know, I was listening to a lot of like the, the rock that was on the radio at the time, you know, and, uh, Particularly a lot of like '90s rock and yeah. uh, you know Deftones, you know uh, Rage Against the Machine, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, but also, you know, like my dad actually had you know the Heavy Weather album. Oh, really? On, on vinyl, and uh, you know Romantic Warrior by by Return to Forever, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know Elegant Gypsy, Al Demiola, you know with Anthony Jackson on it. You know that's with uh, that's the one with uh, Race with the Devil on Spanish Highway. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, pick, yeah, that yeah. pick intro, but. So, you know, I was hearing all that stuff <clears throat> early on, obviously not knowing what the hell any of it was uh, or, or the significance of any of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, just soaking it up. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, to, to an extent, yeah, to an extent. And, and I just, um, I guess I always had, I guess I developed a, a kind of an affinity for, for instrumental music or, or really musician-driven music. You know, I know that. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, like absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Music with an emphasis on on instrumental concepts. On the actual playing, yeah, yeah. I didn't even really hear the the Beatles and stuff like that until much later in life, you know, because it just wasn't something that he played a whole lot of. You yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, do you think that um, it was kind of you've when you were getting into the the instrumental, you know, driven music? Do you think that kind of like inspired you more and more to sort of like go down the bass route and? And look into guys like Jaco Pistorius and things like that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It 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 made. Um, I mean, the music was was actually has been and, and and still is kind of more accessible to me than 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 a lot of you know like pop music now you know and yeah. uh you know and always always has been you know probably probably because i heard it from an earlier i have i have absolutely no very little uh um aptitude for for popular music and you know it's it's kind of kind of sad i probably have a lot more money than i do now but but uh <laughs> if, if i had gone a different route but but yeah, it was just that's kind of just kind of the way it happened, you know. And, so. and who were you? Who were your like early influences on bass in terms of like people that just were like you were like, oh, I need to sound like that, you know? What what's um, he doing? How's he doing it? Yeah, well, I guess I guess really, I mean, I guess Geezer Butler was the first one because yeah. that was like you know what initially just made me go, that's a bass. I know what a bass is, and I remember actually if you listen to that album, you know, I still go back. I still love that album. If you if you go back and listen to it, I mean, he's playing a lot of really active stuff on there. He's not yeah, yeah. just doubling the guitars; he's doing all sorts of of, of really cool things, and, uh, and you know, kind of in that sort of you know Jack Bruce esque yeah. kind of kind of tradition, you know, yeah. you know. Uh, and um, I, I, you know, my dad had Cream Records too. I, I checked out Jack Bruce; that was really interesting. Obviously, all the bass players I was listening to at the time, like um, you know, uh, Flea. Uh, Someone had showed me Les Claypool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad also had the uh, Three Floor or the Cuckoo's Nest album uh, of of the Flectones. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know, and so I did hear Victor pretty early, yeah. and uh, I didn't really know what to make of it at the time because, um, especially on that album, because like a trio album, you know, the 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 banjo and the and the bass kind of bleed together, sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, or at least that's the way it, it sounded to me at the time. No, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was. I, I didn't really know. So it was like this kind of like full on audio assault because I didn't really know what what was bass, what was banjo. It was all just so crazy and interesting. And yeah. and then I remember a friend of mine did get me that uh, that instructional video by by Victor very uh, when I was pretty young. And and yeah, I was kind of all over by that point. You know, I did. I went through a period of trying to do all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, how you know, old your were you typical. That, how old were you at that point? I was probably about. That was within about. A year or two of, of playing, yeah. So like you were so, sort of like fifteen years old or something like that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when yeah. when did you start getting really serious about it? Well, I mean, I always, I always, kind of, I was always a really serious kid anyway. Like, um, you know, it took it, it, it was only until like my mid twenties where I learned how to have fun. But but like, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was. Um, I kind of got serious about it right away. You know, I kind of was used to taking all the things that I was interested in really seriously and getting really kind of obsessed with them and kind of, you know, devoting uh, all my time to it. But it was really, it was really like when high school came along and I started doing, you know, a lot of the scholastic kind of things. And um, also, uh, you know, Syracuse is only an hour and a half away from Rochester, which is where the Eastman School of Music is. So I started to, um, I was studying with guys in my local area, you know, Kind of when 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 high school came in, I I didn't really take electric bass lessons anymore, even though that was my first instrument. You know, everyone kept telling telling me you need to play upright, you need to play upright. So, I started taking classical lessons from Ed Castellano, who is the principal of the Syracuse Symphony, who now plays for the Rochester Philharmonic. And um, I started taking lessons with Jeff Campbell over in Rochester. He's the the jazz bass professor yeah. at, at Eastman, you know, and yeah. and, uh, and there was also a really amazing um, jazz upright bass player living in Syracuse at the time named uh, Phil Flanagan, who uh, who um, 
was originally from Geneva, New York, the same the same town uh, that Scott Lafaro is from, oh, uh, yeah. just, which is which is right in between Syracuse and uh, and uh, and um, Rochester. Actually, the tree that he ran into when he died is still there near Jeez. the wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but anyway, Phil Phil was a really interesting guy because um, world absolutely world class uh, jazz bass player, like a very very underrated uh, kind of the I like to call him the best uh, jazz bass player. Nobody. Nobody knows about you know, yeah, yeah. And, you know he played with Rosemary Clooney for a long time and uh, was one of the last bass players to play with um, Benny Goodman. Wow. Uh, he was part of that whole like Arbor's Records, you know Scott Hamilton, you yeah, know kind yeah. of the neo the neo trad guys. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. He was this amazing bebop player, you know, and 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 uh, I think he did. I think he played with Johnny Griffin's band at one point too. And but he wasn't that old. I mean, he was just a little younger than my. Well, you know, he's not, he's still alive. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he lives in, he lives in San Antonio, Texas now. And you were getting, um, le- you were getting lessons from all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, they were available and I was, I was serious. I was trying to figure it out. Wow. And, um, and so I was just trying to get as much information as I could. And I really wanted to, I loved the idea of, of going to school for music. I, I really, I wanted to go to music college so bad. It was just like this like burning thing, you know, yeah, that yeah. I, I just, you know, no matter what, um, all, want, all my dreams will come true if I just get to music college. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah I yeah. was one of those hapless victims, you know, like, like, um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, I, then obviously the time came, you know, uh, yeah. we're graduated from high school and I, I had the choice, the choices of going to Eastman, uh, William Patterson and, uh, SUNY Purchase. Yeah. And, um, and I actually ended up, uh, I made a decision that kind of surprised myself. I'd always wanted to go to Eastman. You know, everybody in my area had all gone to Eastman. Eastman's a really famous school. Yeah. You know, one of the oldest uh, music schools in in the uh, United States, period. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and so many people that I admired graduated from there. And it was kind of a, a dream of mine for a long time. But then when the opportunity came, I think it was just because, like, the scholarship I got there and what SUNY Purchase cost and what William Patterson cost, they were all kind of the same. So they were all kind of on a level playing field at that yeah. point. So it was kind of like, well, okay. And I just kind of ended up uh, at the time. It, I, 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 I was just excited about purchase and ended up ended up going there. And um, and it was, uh, yeah, music school was an interesting thing. You know? Were you pretty well developed when you got there? Because it sounds well, like obviously, as a young kid, you're getting these great lessons from some serious, serious players, and you were taking it seriously yourself at the time, right? Yeah, well, and 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 I was actually gigging in high school. There was actually yeah. still uh, there were still gigs to you know like a lot of jazz gigs going on, or at least they seemed like a lot at the time. Yeah, and um, you know, and I was actually playing with a lot of the professionals in my area, and I was really really lucky. I actually had a regular gig with some friends of mine who were really serious too. You know, piano player Andrew Carroll and and Greg Evans, a drummer. Greg is actually professor of percussion at Ithaca College now, and wow. and. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Andrew lives here in New York. You know, he's a very, very, very good, um, uh, fantastic um, uh, uh, piano player. And they were, they were, they were a lot better than I was. You know, they, they, um, they were, they had already uh, had a lot more experience. They, you know, they had, they were doing like all the, like the Grammy band kind of stuff. They were like the local stars, and I kind of played bass with them. You yeah. know, so, I think so, that's sometimes the best place to be, though, if you're the yeah, sort of, like yeah. if you're the weakest link, because you just right. get dragged up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I got, you know, we hosted our own jazz jam session in town for a while. Yeah. You know, we were like teenagers, you know, and, 
and it was cool. You know, it, it turned into a really cool thing. It actually continued. I was a year older than them. So like I graduated before and they continued it for a while. Um, after that, before they went to, they all went to school. Uh, yeah. Greg ended up going to MSM Manhattan school of music and, uh, Andrew actually went to uh, university of Southern California for a minute and then went to uh, North Texas after that. So, got you. Got you. um, so, uh, but yeah, when I got into school, I actually got into school, uh, for some reason that year in SUNY purchase, they had a lot for, for, for being a small program. They actually took a lot of bass players that year. Oh, really? Yeah. So there were like, I think like six other bass players in my freshman class. It was a small, small class or yeah, more yeah. of us than anything else, you know, yeah. which is unusual. Yeah. And, uh, and everybody was good, you know? And so that was, that was cool. Um, I mean, the only thing I had, the things that made me stand out at the time for better or for worse was, um, I had, I had, a, I had a bit of gigging experience, yeah. you know, for, for, for my age, which was, which was good. Um, and I had, for some reason I had, I mean, I technique always came pretty easy to me, Yeah. you know, uh, you know, I mean all the other aspects of music, definitely not, but, 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 definitely, <laughs> but for some reason facility on, on both the upright and, uh, and electric bass for some reason was never a problem. Yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was, it was for some reason, um, I think, I think Rufus Philpot kind of said the same thing. It was just like, you kind of pick up the instrument and for some reason your, your fingers start moving, you know? Yeah. And, I think and, it's probably to, to do with like plasticity of the brain. Like some people find. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just their brains work in a slightly different way. Like for instance, like Hadrian Ferro, right? <laughs> you know, like. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know much about how his brain works, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I could just never imagine him picking up the bass and having a problem with something technically, you know. Yeah. You never know. But, but yeah, that wasn't really a problem for me, but like, for instance, you know, there were things that I really needed to work on that, that school actually really addressed, which was nice, you know, like. And what uh, were those things? Um, uh, ear training was something I really needed to work on. I was actually, that was something that I was really behind in when I started out. Luckily, luckily, you know, they had good classes for that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I had a lot of problems with, um, there were some rhythmic problems I was still working out, uh, at the time too, like, like, like time kind of things. I think a lot of bass players that take a technical, you know, affinity to the instrument early on kind of have problems with that. I've I've noticed, you know, so, so that was my rhythm section playing still needed, uh, some, some work, you know, my walking line choice, no choices and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Phil Flanagan was really good for like, you know, instilling, you know, kind of bebop vocabulary. So I could, I could solo really well. Yeah. Um, I knew a fair amount of tunes. Um, I, yeah, you never know enough tunes. But. I was going to say, did you know sort of like a good amount of standards when you got to school? A fair amount, a yeah. fair amount, you know, but, but, um, the nice, the, that school was really a small group jazz school, a small ensemble jazz school, kind of like yeah. the new school, you know, it yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah. It's not a huge big band school like like Eastman or or North Texas where that's like more emphasized than yeah. uh, than uh, you know small ensemble stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. And what uh, what advice would you give to you know like students that are just going into music school now? Like from your experience, what advice would you give well, them? I would say don't go in with the kind of preconceived notions that I did, which was. Um, which was that whole like you know every you know my all my ills will be cured if I go to music school. I actually um, I, I you know I was I what I had kind of imagined in my head of what music school would be. You know I kind of figured that you know I go in and the world was going to be my oyster and and everything was going to just kind of take off into you know fantasy land from there. <laughs> and um, 
<laughs> and you know, it didn't, you know, it, it, it didn't really happen, you know, but, uh, but oddly enough, like looking back on it, you know, it was a, it was a great experience. I was just, uh, I was too ornery of a student to really appreciate it at the time. Yeah, I yeah. think, you know, I was like, so like, you know, serious. And there were, there were aspects of the program that didn't quite mesh with me. Like I was used to the Eastman system, which is much more like, even if you're a jazz major, you have to take classical lessons and, yeah. and, and classical theory lessons and all that kind of stuff. And this was really like a jazz school. Yeah. And, and even though I was a jazz player, I still really wanted all that kind of stuff, right, you know? And yeah, I, yeah. I, so I started kind of getting all that stuff on the side myself. Like I studied with Timothy Cobb for a while yeah. and, uh, who's the principal of, uh, who was the principal of the Met and now he's the principal of the New York Phil. And, but oddly enough, ironically, in the middle of, of college, I, I dropped the upright altogether and, and decided that I wanted to go back to playing electric all the time. And what brought that about? Um, uh, tendonitis had, had, had a little bit to do with it. Did it? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, had, a, I had a couple bouts with that, which really kind of took the, the fun out of playing the instrument. I mean, it's, it's, such a, uh, it's such a physical instrument to play in the first place, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and I'd almost kind of forgotten really what the electric bass was like so much. You know, I'd spent like all these years really concentrating on, on upright playing and, you know, and doing it properly. And I realized kind of also in the, that, you know, everyone had kind of, I had taken up a upright bass because people told me I had to, Yeah. you know, that, that classic, you know, syndrome that yeah, a lot yeah. of people fall into. And, uh, and I remember when I was injured and, uh, you know, electric bass didn't aggravate the conditions. So I started playing that more. And it was fun. You know, I kind of rediscovered that music was a fun thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check, check that, that must out. have been a really scary situation to be in, you know. It was, yeah, it was. It was especially when it happened twice, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like, oh, is this really going to be it? Is this going to be the rest of my life, you know? Uh, you, know you know, battling with this. Because I know some people that battle with it for years and years yeah, and years. absolutely, yeah. And uh, luckily, luckily, you know, it, that wasn't the case. But, but, uh, but, yeah, it was like all of a sudden, you know, I kind of rediscovered the electric bass. It was like, it was, and rediscovered music in general, you know, kind of rediscovered the, the joy in music making. In I was actually going to ask you, did your influences not obviously change at that point, but you, did you start focusing on different players? Uh, well, I kind of, it kind of made me go back into the electric bass world and kind of see what was out there again. Yeah. And, you know, this is about, this is like 2005 or six at this yeah. point. You know, so, you know, I, I had been keeping track of a lot of it, but, you know, like, you know, that was when I started seeing guys like, you know, Yannick Wisdala, you know, I'm, and I'm about the same age as, I'm, I'm like a year or two younger than Hadrian. Yeah. So, like, you know, I'm 30, I think he's like 32 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So, and, and, um, and so I was seeing, I was seeing all these kind of guys and, um, you know, and, and seeing that the, the kind of the, the fusion shredder thing was still alive and well in many <laughs> yeah. ways. And that was always the kind of thing I was good at in the first place. Um, and, uh, but also at the same time, it was just like, well, well shit, you know, like, you know, if all these guys that are kind of roughly in the same age group as, as, as I am, you know, like, you know, I, I kind of felt like, well, what can I, I, I was already kind of thinking like, what kind of things could I do that were going to be a little different from them? Cause yeah, what was yeah. the point? You know, yeah, what, yeah. What was the absolutely. Point yeah. Doing that. But luckily, uh, there were two things that, that had an influence with me early on, actually, before, before that decision to go back to the upright base, or back to the electric base actually happened. And my, my freshman year, and this changed everything, uh, and, you know, when I was a freshman, um, there was a, a grad student, uh, a guy in his second year of grad school at, at Purchase, 
who was an electric bass player. And yeah. He is an electric bass player only. And his name is uh, Paniotis Andreo. I'm sure you guys probably yeah, yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, know yeah. that is. And <laughs> I just, it had been, I don't think there's been a musician that's rocked my world quite, quite like that. Really? That I, you know, the guy was so unique, is so unique. I mean, he's, in my opinion, you know, of, of, of the, because he's about seven or eight years older than I am. I think he's like 37, 38 now. And, um, you know, it's just like I, I, I think he's the most unique uh, yeah. voice on electric bass of our of, of that generation yeah, by he's far. Absolutely it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he lives like a couple blocks away. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's right here in Australia. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we hang out uh, every. Well, we, we hung out once pretty recently, and it was it was great. He's 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 so fun, and oh, and he actually he actually um, the thing that the thing that really inspired me about him was his world music influence. You know, he was into all these different kinds of. Uh, ethnic styles of music from all over the world yeah. and was kind of you know and then his thing is kind of blending all those together into this like wild kind of almost extraterrestrial way of playing the bass <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know it, you know and it was it, it was just so amazing to watch even then when i didn't even really know what i was listening to you know and and um that was when i started you know i started hanging out with him a little bit back then not much you know yeah. and but but asking him what he was checking out and and, you know, that's when he was, um, you know, checking out a lot of like Lacho Taifa. That was like before even New York Gypsy All-Stars was even a thing. Yeah, yeah. That was when they were still called Maya Trio. It was like him and Ismael playing in uh, playing in like Turkish restaurants, you know, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, Alphabet yeah. City and stuff like that. I don't even think Engin Gnaiden was even playing in the band at the time. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So um, and, uh, and 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 then obviously he was always talking about Timba because yeah. he plays timba too he was he was he had already been playing with uh la clave secreta for for a while since he was in berkeley and all that kind of stuff yeah. and uh so it kind of like opened up a new world of of you know of, of fascination with latin music and yeah. eastern eastern european balkan music i took the i actually took to the eastern european stuff uh early on back then i really liked i was really into that all the odd meter stuff especially from like listening to music like jethro tull in kansas and yeah. and, and 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 king crimson from when i was a kid so yeah. Uh, I got way into that. But and, he and was, was kind of that pathway into oh, sort of like a deeper oh, discovery, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All that kind of stuff. So. Were you into like Chris Speed and those guys? Like Chris Speed, yeah. Jim Black, yeah. Schoolie Ferenson, yeah. like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, of course. Pecora, of course. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that stuff. And um, so, yeah, the, the, those are the kind of influence that started to come in. I started to get less... Um, I started getting less interested in straight-ahead jazz... I actually got into studying it more. I got in like the bebop vocabulary, especially on electric bass. That stuff's easier to play. Yeah. So I was taking all. I was taking a really great class by John Faddis at the time, which was uh, my senior year, which was um, uh, just a transcription class. It was like you know, and I volunteered to uh, to. I, I was doing like uh, all these like Sonny Stitt and John Coltrane and Woody Shaw solos on on electric bass. And what, and, did, did he? Did they tell you which solos to? No. No. So you have uh, to just pick a solo and then just get into no, it. It was kind of like if you know if you didn't come up with an idea yourself, he would give you one. But but um, he he was kind of a taskmaster kind of guy. And, yeah. um, but I was kind of self driven at that point, so I just was doing it. So I was like really I was learning all these like really hardcore like bebop and post bop solo lines on the instrument. But I wasn't really you know playing electric bass. I didn't really 
I didn't really like the sound of electric bass and straight ahead music, you With know, unless it was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, unless it was, unless it was like a guy like Steve Swallow who does it so well and yeah, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. you know, but I didn't really, I didn't really hear myself doing that kind of thing. And, uh, and obviously, obviously as an electric bass player, you have a hard time getting accepted by that, that world anyway. So absolutely, it was, because yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. It's one of those age old discussions, isn't it? You know, should electric bass play that you know those like standard straight ahead right. things and you know i mean i still do that stuff obviously it's not something it's not like i exclude myself entirely yeah. from that whole thing. but so but i but i was always i always thought that the bass sounded very good as a jazz solo instrument you know like that and that, that whole kind of jeff berlin you know rufus philpot kind of kind yeah. of style you know and uh so so i got really into that but at the same time i was checking out at the time a lot of like you know balkan music you know uh, bulgarian bulgarian and and uh kind of Turkish gypsy stuff and and obviously you know I have a little bit of heritage from that part of the world so that was kind of that aided in in my fascination with yeah. it oddly enough it's never turned into a professional thing but it's a, on my part you know I, I had my own group where I wrote like jazz tunes based and yeah, yeah. all the all the all those rhythms like the Copanitsa and like things like that you know so like you know stuff in 11 and 9 and yeah yeah, yeah. got, got kind of good at doing that at one you know at one point you know for, for a while for guys that are interested in playing that kind of style of stuff that you know, that generally isn't in four, four, yeah, four, four meters. Like what advice would you give them in terms of um, working on that and getting it into their playing? Yeah. Ask Panaderos Andreu, but, um, <laughs> that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, you know, cause he's like, you know, he's as good as it gets with that, with yeah. that stuff. But, um, you know, for me actually, uh, someone taught me to like, you know, I started programming grooves that were in that, that, that were in those meters and, and I started practice, just practicing my scales along to them. So just getting comfortable with them. Just, yeah, as, just playing, as you got playing, comfortable playing with to 4-4 four, four when you were, yeah. you know, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I'd write tunes, you know, write and arrange tunes that, that are in them so that yeah. you play them with other people. And that's pretty much how it goes, you know. Uh, it was actually, that was a pretty, for me, that was a very logical process. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I did some, you know, my recitals were, uh, in school were based on that. But um, yeah. We're like focusing a lot of my school experience. I really don't really think about that all I that think, much Yeah, anymore. man, I think it's really yeah. interesting because a lot of the guys that I speak to are either thinking about going to school or are in school, <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's a really different experience for everybody that when right. they, you know, get into that schooling experience. So I think about, I think hearing about other people's schooling experience, especially when they're out the other side. Is right. Really interesting. Yeah. To people, well, you know? that's, that's where things got a lot more interesting because I graduated and, you know, at the time, too, like a lot of my friends were trying to get into grad school, and I kind of half-assed applying to grad school, and and it showed too because I, I I didn't end up actually uh, hearing back from any of the places I applied, but I really didn't do uh, I was really not into the idea, so um, I went back to Syracuse for like two months yeah. after graduating. You know, left the New York area, the New York City area, and went up went went back up to Syracuse for a couple months and was gigging around there a little bit, and. I ended up getting I ended up getting a couple cruise ship jobs that I did for a little while. Yeah, which yeah. A lot of people do outside of school. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yep, yeah, and Me classic. Too, yeah. you know, same story as everybody else. You know, it, I was already a good reader, but it it got my reading better. It yeah. It um, you know, uh, I learned a lot more uh, like kind of pop tunes. Yeah, it was really kind of a exposure to that I was actually in a party band on my first contract. Yeah, so I've done the party band thing as well when I was on the ship. Yeah, I did yeah, the, okay. yeah, I was in the pit and then I did the party band. It was a really yeah. great, was it a good experience for you? It was a great experience for me. Yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, I saw the world, you know, and yeah. a, little, a little bit, you know, and, and 
that was actually very, very cool. Uh, I, I, it, it really prepared me for what came later because when I came back, um, I was going to move back to, I was actually going to move back to, uh, New York and, um, I, my, my plans were kind of set on that. There was actually some tentative plans to maybe move to Boston, see what that was like. Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, I ran into a friend of mine, uh, from, you know, playing jazz, uh, as a kid. And, uh, he had actually settled in Chicago and had been in Chicago for a while because he went to college at university of Chicago, not for yeah. music, extra mathematics, but he's a really talented, uh, jazz vibraphonist. So, and he said, Hey man, you know, I got some gigs in October. Uh, why don't you, why don't you come out and do them with me and see what you think of Chicago? And I, you know, I'd always kind of never really knew much about Chicago, yeah, never yeah. been there ne- you know, didn't really know what it was. And, um, I went out there just kind of intending to stay for a couple of weeks and check out the city. And we were going to jam <laughs> sessions and stuff. And, uh, I, at one jam session, I think this is about after a couple of days of being in town, I was playing and, uh, it was actually at the velvet lounge, which no long, well, actually it does exist, but it's kind of a different club now. It's been with, taken it's, over, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 It's been taken over. But at the time, you know, Fred Anderson was still alive and it was, it was, um, they had this great Sunday jam session that was like, you know, a lot of the South Side, uh, you know, young jazz musicians would come and hang out yeah. and stuff. And I happened to go on stage and it was a really good, a really good mix of musicians. It was, um, you know, Greg Ward was, was playing alto saxophone and yeah. he actually just moved back to uh, Chicago. He was living over here for a while and he plays with like people's, uh, people's places and things and, uh, and yeah. a bunch of really his own band fitted shards, really great player. But the piano player that was on stage at the time was uh, was this guy Darwin Nagara, who uh, who I didn't know, but he he was the leader of, of or the co-leader of of the Chicago Afro Latin Jazz Ensemble. Gotcha. And we played. I remember we played Interurge together, and yeah, you know, I just I, I, I had a good I had a good night. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I I took a I took a good solo on it, and you know, and you know, played with a lot of intensity, I guess, and 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 you know, the, the band the band sounded really really great. It was a really you know, I, w- I was floating off of that, that yeah. for, 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 for a while. So, um, but he came up to me later. He's like, Hey man, you know, I had a great time playing with you. Um, do you, do you play Latin music too? And I totally lied and said yes. And, uh, and so he's like, okay, let me take your card. You know, there's a lot of, uh, salsa gigs around here and Latin jazz gigs. I have my own big band. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, cool. There, there you go. And, uh, Literally, I think like two days later, I wake up with a text message on my phone. He's like, "Hey, man, can you can you play at Andy's? You know, uh, this weekend." Yeah. And um, and so I said, "Sure." You know, again, you know, not even hadn't even decided to move to the city yet. Yeah. And um, and it, you know, I had the Friday. He was doing Friday and Saturday at Andy's, like the feature group, and it was you know the Darwin Noguera Evolution Quartet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, which he had already had, I think, two albums out under that name at that point. Or, or maybe just one. I don't, I don't remember at the yeah. time. This was 2009, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and so I remember going to the rehearsal. And l- luckily I, could, I can read really well. That's, that's, you know, that's been a skill I've had for a while. And, and I also had just been come off the ships and I've been reading a lot. So that wasn't a problem. So I was reading all the parts. Yeah, yeah. But, and I think that, you know, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, like, man, you, you know, your reading is great. You're, you're, you're eating this stuff up, but, but you know, I can tell that this stuff's a little, that the, the actual like style of it's a little new to you. Yeah. 
you know, and uh, he's like, yeah, just just practice it before the gig and you'll be OK. And and I did. And and um, and it was it was difficult. Like, I remember, you know, like you don't I had done a little bit of like Latin jazz in college and stuff like that, but nothing had really prepared me. for. I mean, this was like, you know, these were like, you know, like the best, you know, best of Chicago, yeah. Yeah. you know, you know, it's yeah. like uh, scary you know, these, stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and really hard music, like yeah. really hard music, like very technical, like like you know, very Michel Camille inspired kind of stuff. Yeah, that was his. He was kind of coming off of a kick with that at the time, you know. And had you had you heard the kind of like the Michel Camille stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you were like you'd heard the big band album one more mm-hmm. once, and they were actually doing the, the 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 big band was doing Sweet Sandrine. Oh really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so you know that was. So I mean I. You know, I did the big band too at one point, and uh, at, well, not at one point. I I started subbing with them on and off. Their bass player is Joshua Ramos, who plays with uh, Ramsey Lewis. Yeah, I got you. you know, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, so um, who became a really good friend of mine? They all became. It was kind of the social circle that I kind of got into in Chicago. Obviously, at this point, I decided to stay for a yeah, little while. Yeah, you stayed, didn't you? You went for two days and stayed <laughs> for how long? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two two weeks. How long did you stay yeah. for? Five years. Five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I started working, and uh, I started working in the salsa scene, and 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 also with some of like the ori- kind of original jazz stuff, you know, because obviously being an electric bass player, yeah, you know, you kind of fall more into that you know, than you know the. So so I was doing all these like artistically really cool, cool gigs very early on, you know, and uh, and um, but kind of the the uh, things took kind of an interesting turn uh, within a, a couple within the first year or so because I started playing with this band called uh, Marvin, and um, you know some people on the site may know who they are, some may not. They're yeah. uh, Moon June Records signed fusion band based yeah. in Chicago, and they're run by Danny Rabin and Danny Markovich, the Dannys as we as we all call them, <laughs> and. Um, and they were they had just come out with their album uh breaking the cycle at the time oh yeah and they were just starting to i mean on the album on the album it's steve rodby and and paul Wertico yeah, playing yeah. you know and jamie haddad and um and some other people too but, but those were like the main heavies uh, <laughs> yeah the main heavies and uh so but they couldn't really take those guys on the road you know and they were playing like weird parts of you know like little small towns in like southern illinois down near the kentucky border and like some random places in chicago yeah and um and so i loved their music and i started playing with them on and off at the time in the beginning they just had they had two bands actually they had marvin which was like their duo thing which is their first album i don't know if you've heard it is like uh this like ambient guitar and saxophone. Yeah, I've got it on a ripped CD somewhere. <laughs> you do? Oh, you yeah, do? Yeah, wow, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, so they, but then they had a band called Rabach, which is more of this like tribal tech inspired, yeah. like you know, melt your face off kind of, uh, you know, fast, you know, one chord vamp fusion <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know? So they put those two things together, and that was the kind of what became what is now you know the accepted form of what Marvin is. Yeah. And. Um, and so they were doing these, like, frankly, pretty shitty gigs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, like out of town. They were really inconvenient because you had to drive like six hours out of, the, you know, down to like Marion, <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. But the reaction to the music was, was amazing. I mean, people that normally don't listen to that kind of stuff were way into it. I mean, just freaking out over it because it was very high energy and yeah. very rock oriented, you know, so really, really connected with people. And um, so, you know, 
a weekend a month turned into two weekends a month, turned into every weekend, then turned into, you know, Thursday through Thursday, Thursday through Saturday every weekend. Oh, really? And then all so it was yeah. like a full-time thing. And it became a full-time thing. Go out for a month, come back for a week, go out for a month, come back to a week. And, and we would come back and we wouldn't do anything. We would occasionally, we, we would serve kind of as the, the sidemen for Paul Wertico's band yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so all of a sudden that was, so, you know, Latin music had kind of, you know, kind of fallen out by the wayside at that point. For, and I did that for two years. And were you still checking out the Latin stuff at this point? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and they were into, they were into actually, they were really into tango, the, the, uh, you know, like Astro Piazzolla kind of stuff, yeah. the, uh, the, the Dannys, you know? Um, and so that was kind of an influence. Uh, you know, they were doing like this kind of, some of the tunes at the time, they, they veered away from that sound, but like, which is a shame because that was some of the most interesting stuff I feel like we, we really did. Yeah. They got a lot more funk rock after that. You Who know? were you listening to at this point? Um, well, it de- it kind of depended on who I was hanging out with. You know, obviously all the the Latin stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of music. I was I was o- I've always been really into contemporary Cuban music, yeah. contemporary contemporary Cuban dance music, even more so than jazz. Uh, like like Climax, um, uh, Los Que Son Son, yeah. uh, Los Van Van, uh, stuff like that. You know, and and uh, I always I always more interested in that music than like say like new york salsa or things like that yeah, you know because yeah. obviously like you know salsa is something that's really originated in in the states you know it, was, yeah, it came yeah. over from cuba before the revolution and kind of so both of those styles of music evolved very independently from each other obviously to the untrained ear they sound pretty similar but but there's some very very yeah key, the roots are different yeah yeah very very different yeah so you know i was listening to all that but you know the dannys were really into like Johnny Cash and like Leonard Cohen and all these like singer songwriters and you know, their music didn't sound anything like that. Yeah. But, but you know, they listened to a lot of that kind of stuff. I still love that kind of stuff. And, um, but you know, we also really liked, you know, again, like Astro Piazzolla and, 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 uh, Ennio Marcone and, and stuff like that. And yeah. so, you know, and they were really into that whole kind of sonic landscape type sound at the time too. You know, again, it got a little more towards the rock thing later on, you know, to, to appease audiences. And I think they were generally interested in it, genuinely interested in it. Yeah. But, yeah. but the cool part is that we ended up, uh, we ended up, um, uh, we, we ended up touring opening for Scott Henderson's group with, uh, with, um, Jeff Berlin and Mike Clark for yeah, in 2000, yeah, yeah. 2012, you yeah. know, or 2011, it was September, 2011. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really great. Uh, played a bunch of venues with them, and then how long later, was that tour for? That was a week and a half. Um, and then the the real the real one the real dream come true was uh, was in later the, later in in like April March and April two thousand twelve. We toured opening for Alan Holdsworth's group, wow. and that was that was amazing. Yeah, and, you know, that was. I'm one a of the huge most- Holdsworth fan. I'm like. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, my dad, my dad listened to him, you know. So it's like I, to to be there, you know, all of them, you know. He had Yellow Jackets. I mean, Jamie Haslip was playing bass. Virgil Nadi was playing drums. Yeah. The cool thing about Alan though is that he actually hung out with us. Like yeah, he's from like, Bradford, man. He he was born like yeah, yeah, yeah five yeah. miles down the road. <laughs> yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah so funny, so <laughs> so interesting. He actually never talked about music. He always liked talking about. Um, like Crown Victoria cars and and uh, you know brewing beer and stuff like that. So like he's really into brewing beer. He actually um, he used to play because a lot of the because he was born around here and he kind of you know yeah. 
it, I know it's bizarre to think about this, but Alan Holdsworth used to be sort of like a normal gigging musician, you know, when he was I, a kid. I know, yeah, he, yeah, he talked about that. Man, yeah, he he used said, to, he, like a lot of my friends played with him in the bingo halls. Do you even, do you know what bingo is? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like, you I've know. Got, I've got a 97-year-old grandmother. I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Alan used to sort of like play the bingo halls around Bradford. And the, the keys player I know, um, he said he was a monster even when he was a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. Well, I mean, if you see some of the younger, the, the, the really young uh, uh, footage with him, like, like yeah. playing like, well, like IOU and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, you could hear it then. I mean, his style was different then, you know, because yeah. obviously I think, I think guitar technology had to kind of catch up with him. It's, you know, he's, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, because like, you know, I don't think they weren't really making guitars to be played like that, you yeah, know, yeah. But, you know. But anyway, so that was great. I mean, he would actually hung out, hang out with us and like, you know, that was so cool because he is such a unique person. And, and yeah. um, I, I just, you know, Virgil, Virgil and, and Jimmy like kind of had their own lives. You know, they were always like, you know, either, you know, checking emails all the time or, or all that kind of stuff. I mean, I still, I actually still talk to Jimmy every once in a while, yeah. but, um, uh, and so, but, but really Alan was, that was something special. I mean, that really was, I got to say. Um, but, uh, but when that tour was over, it was over, you know, I mean, nothing, we kind of went back to the same kind of touring that we were doing before. And yeah. I really, I was really kind of going broke, uh, doing that as my full time thing. Yeah. And so it really got to the point, I think about like two or three months after that, I think in July we did this West coast tour. We actually went and played the baked potato and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I was so burnt out, you know, I actually had a, an elbow injury at the time too. And my, you know, uh, from playing, uh, kind of the combination of just like being under tons of stress from being, you know, kind of like on, on tour, but not really having a really good quality of life at the time, you know, yeah, and yeah. probably from sleeping on it wrong, you know, in the back of the van and yeah, yeah, it just yeah. kind of manifested itself slowly. And, and, uh, so was it, what was it? it cubital tunnel syndrome? No, no, it was, no. uh, it was, it was the, the, the tendon that attaches that your tricep tendon, but right, right, you got yeah, inflamed yeah. right here. Yeah. And that, that it still pops every once in a while, but, yeah, yeah. um, so I just had enough. It was, you know, I, I loved the music. I believed in it so hard. I mean, we were really on a mission, you know, yeah. and they, and they, they, they're still together. They're still doing it. I actually, it. actually Danny Markovich, a saxophone player and I were still really good friends. He was just in Brooklyn the other day, just with his wife on vacation. We, we, we just had coffee and, and talk. We still talk a lot. And, you know, they're doing, they're doing well. I mean, they went, they, they did touring like that after I left for another few years, you know, they yeah. really stuck it out. They're, they're road dogs, man. And it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I didn't love that part of it. It was just that when I saw that my, that I was going to have to, the one thing I've never done is I've never asked my parents for money. Right. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that was just like, and it was coming, getting to the point where I was going to have to, and that was just unacceptable for me. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. and is that when you decided to move back to New York? sort of yeah i went back i went back to chicago and actually had the busiest summer i have ever had in my life i was like <laughs> playing like every day you know and 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 it was cool i was doing wedding gigs and all that you know that kind of corporate function stuff yeah. and you know and you know and, and in chicago the players that do those those gigs you know i mean i mean like like i did a lot of gigs where like paul mertens from like you know from like <laughs> yeah. uh, brian wilton's wilson's band was playing saxophone yeah. you know there was some you know and clyde davis used to play with like the emotions and stuff like that so it was, it was a cool experience, but I kind of saw, you know, I was, you know, I was in my late twenties at the time and, or mid to late twenties at the time. And I kind of like, you know, I've never intended to stay here my entire life. Yeah. You know, I had a really serious girlfriend at the time too, but I kind of had to say to myself, like, you know, 
if I don't make a move out to LA or, or, or New York, it's not going to happen. You know, if I, if I wait even a few years, I'm going to get so embedded in this scene that it's just not going to occur. So I, I was, I was, I had spent some time out in LA because I actually had a, you know, I had an ex-girlfriend that was living out there for a minute. And, and obviously I'd met guys that were based in LA, obviously like Scott Henderson and Jimmy Haslip. I didn't think that they were going to be a whole lot of help to me, but, um, at least you but knew somebody there. I, at least I knew yeah. somebody, yeah. yeah. And, so it was on the also, cards. Yeah, but also I had gotten really, I was getting in my spare time, I was getting really into Cuban Timba again, but really researching it. I mean, like like ravenously transcribing it. Yeah. I mean, like filling notebooks with, with it. Really, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah something, something clicked. And, and so that started, that started happening. Excuse me. There's the whole, uh, you said people start burping and bumping. <laughs> yeah, <That's exactly. laughs> Once the camera comes Oh, as soon as the camera's gone, that, you know, yeah, yeah, it just yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so all of a sudden like that, I was like, oh, okay, well, um, well, what do I do with this? There's, there's, there's very little, if not, there's, there's none of that stuff here. You know, yeah. there's just like hardcore, like New York and salsa, some South American music and Latin jazz. There's, there, there is no outlet. There was one band. I was playing in one band that did that stuff, and I'm really thankful for that. It was this this great uh, composer arranger from Camagüey, Cuba, named uh, Hector Silvera, and he really gave me like a lot of the records that I was really getting into. I remember I had you know all the I transcribed every note of the bass lines on the first three Bombaleo records, really, all of them, all yeah, of them. and transferred them onto Sibelius. I have. Oh, I was going to really? write a book, so you were I like was, really was, researching it. Oh yeah, no, it was it was really bad. Yeah. And, um, I was going to write a book about that, which I still haven't done, but, but, um, uh, but what I started doing is I, I, because of that, I got hooked up with Timba.com. And, uh, when I went out to visit New York, I started, you know, cause, cause, uh, cause I told Darwin what I was doing and he was living out in New York, yeah. you know, my piano player friend from yeah. Chicago, Rafael, and, yeah. and he was, you know, doing well and, and, um, he had gotten his master's degree from MSM and he was playing with a few different people. And uh, he was actually playing in John Benitez's band. And, uh, Is that where and, the hookup came? Yeah. Yeah, I'll get into that in a second. So I had actually, I had bought a plane. I, had, I made a plan. Okay, I'm going to visit New York again. I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I had set up actually, uh, I had set up a, an audition at uh, University of California, uh, UCLA. Or, okay. No, yeah, not, yeah. not UCLA. Um, 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 Cal State, Cal State LA. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah Cal, Cal State LA, because they have a they have a master's degree in studying at, uh, Latin American music. Yeah. So I thought maybe I'll go back to school, maybe I'll do all that kind of stuff, and you know, really kind of turn this into a you know kind of a thing. Yeah. But um, when I went out to uh, when I went out to New York, you, you know, Darwin was playing with with John's band at Terrassa Seven in Queens, and I went out there and I was hanging out, and um, and John, you know, I watched the first set and, you know, John went down because uh, Trasa 7 has got like a mezzanine where the, where the band plays. So it's actually above the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so he went back down and he was just sitting near the bar and he was really tired because he had been in like the studio all day or something. And it was just a trio. It was just Darwin, uh, uh, John's son, Francis playing drums and, and John. And um, so anyway, Darwin introduces me to, to him. And uh, we just kind of start talking and, you know, we kind of we're having a nice little conversation and it was time for the second set. And he goes, Hey, you know what, man, I'm, I'm beat. You know, <laughs> do you want, do you want to go, you know, do you want to go play a couple of tunes for a sec? You know, you can play my bass, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 
And I was like, okay, all right, all right. And so we went out there and we started playing like, we started, we played, we played like this, like this reharmed version of all things you are that Darwin always calls. So, you know, just like some like, you know, chromatic chord changes in it. They're a little different than the original. But then, you know, we played it and I, you know, sold it over it and stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the tune, instead of doing the normal vamp, because actually we were playing it like in a Latin jazz, you know, like a yeah. Latin jazz Salmontuno kind of way. Darwin kicks into this like, you know, F minor, like, like timba, tumbao, you know, and starts, you know, going crazy with it and kind of gives me the wink. And, and, and like, and on cue, Francis just kind of goes into it too. And, yeah. you know, I, I follow suit. And, you know, we're playing and it's, you know, it's fun. It's great, you know, and, and there's like nobody there. It was like a really dead night there. Yeah. But I look out, I look out into the audience and John Benitez is dancing, <laughs> you know, and you know, he's hard to miss, you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm like, I'm like watching him and he's like, he's got this giant like Cheshire cat smile on his face and Amazing. he's just going nuts. And I'm just like, is this really happening? Like, is this, is this, is this really happening to me yeah. right now? You know, one of my favorite bass players in the world, period, you know, he's uh, out there dancing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's out there <laughs> dancing to me, you know? And so, um, so afterwards, he just gives me this big bear hug, and I'm I'm a tiny guy. I don't know if you like. I'm I'm only like five foot six, and I weigh about a hundred. But you could have told us you were six foot four. We would right, 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 right. No, but I mean, anyway, he gives me a hug, and I kind of disappear. And <laughs> you know, it's just like it's like he's like he's like, oh, that that was amazing. That was that was that was awesome. And I'm like, you know, I'm just sitting here like you know trying to come kind of in shock, you know. And yeah, he's like he's like he's like, and he basically said to me, he's like, if you move here, I will recommend you for gigs and th- i remember that moment i was like well i guess i'm moving to it. new york i'm moving to new york so yeah. i canceled my canceled my flight to la and um went and did two more cruise ship contracts to save some money yeah and um which doing cruise ship contracts after you've done some high profile stuff is really weird I, I, <laughs> yeah. you know and you know and i'm not you know i know that nobody knows who the hell i am you know I, you know it's it's almost i find it amazing that i'm even talking to you right now i'm kind of this guy that's ah, used don't to be silly man but but like um you know i'm used to not being able to get arrested on most on most good days but like <laughs> <laughs> but like you know it was kind of weird you know, to talk to people you know get these guys that have been doing cruise ships forever and, and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. Like, oh yeah so what you know what kind of stuff you do and i tell them they're like what the hell are you doing here i'm like you know, and I tell them I'm saving up money to go to New York. And it was actually a good experience because, like, those two contracts, I was working with Celebrity Cruise Lines, and the band was great. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, was, it was the orchestra, and it was kind of – the accommodations were good. I had my own room and all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot easier than when I was in my early 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so it was a nice little vacation from life and made some bread and, and uh, worked a lot on, on, you know, the, the stuff that I was researching at the time. I was going to say, were stuff. you still really researching that stuff when you were born? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was writing, I was writing some album reviews for Timba.com at the time. Oh, fantastic. And, and, uh, and actually, and then I moved to New York. I, I actually moved to New York and, uh, like right away after that was over. And, um, and so, and I actually was doing a lot of the Timba.com. I was actually known for a while as the Timba.com guy, not as really a bass player for a while. Really? It really yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which I tried to make sure that that didn't happen, you know, pretty quickly. I was like, I don't, because I wasn't getting, you know, it's not a paid position, you know. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I was like, I need gigs to make money, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, but the, but it's weird too, because the the response to my writing was overwhelmingly positive. People yeah. really loved everything that I was doing, 
and I guess I've always been, you know, I mean, I did a lot of writing when I was a kid and I was, it's always been something that I've just been able to do. Like yeah. it wasn't ever something I really worked at, but it was something that I, you know, music is definitely something that I, that I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that can like, you know, not practice for a week and still hope to sound good on anything, you know, like <laughs> it does, you know, you know, I, I have very little in the way of any kind of like natural talent for music, you know, but, but writing for some reason always came pretty easy. And, um, so, so like, you know, that really kind of helped me meet a lot of people yeah. on, on, in the Cuban music scene. And, uh, and, Dar er, er, and Darwin was introducing me to people and John was, was, was calling me to sub for him on some things right away. And, yeah. uh, and it just kind of happened from there, you know, and, you know, so. And is that but, predominantly what you do now? Would you say sort of like gig to gig? Is it that, does that sort of, like oh, yeah. the lion's yeah. share is. The only other thing that I've been doing that I do with any kind of frequency at the moment is that I, um, from day one, I, I, I had a, I have a, a church gig playing gospel music up in Mount Vernon, New York. Oh, so perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, need yeah, to yeah, get yeah. the gospel chops out at some point, man. <laughs> no, I did that stuff in Chicago too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, well, I had, I had, I had seen a there as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When did the uh, when did the idea for for the book come along? Because obviously you've done oh. the 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 book with John Benitez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I should probably show them the. Uh, do it. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. For those of you who don't John know. John Benita's bass method. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not the last one. I was going to um, say it's volume one. Is there a volume two? Well, t tell us about volume one first. Well, volume one is, um, well, when I, approached, uh, when I approached John about the idea, basically I had already done a few transcriptions of, of him, um, like full transcriptions. You know, yeah. I, I like, you know, I like doing full transcriptions like, um, I never, I, I don't generally play the whole thing, but I like writing out the whole thing. Like yeah. all the notes that a guy plays on a track and then pick out the stuff that I like and, yeah. and do that. But, um, so I did a couple of him and, uh, I said, Hey, look, you know, like I would be willing to, to do like a transcription book of you, you know, yeah. it'd be easy to make and everything. And he goes, he goes, well, yeah, that's cool, but I would like to do a method book. And I was like, okay, well, uh, sure. Yeah. That, why not? You know? <laughs> and uh, and so basically, that's uh, he had a he has a particular style of teaching um, that he kind of explained to me. Um, and uh, I got together at his house a few times and kind of got an idea of where he wanted it to go. Yeah. And um, he ended up sending me some P, uh, some Sibelius files of uh, some exercises that he showed. Um, showed students and, and, and a lot of those examples, uh, do, have you, have you read the book at all or I haven't? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, if you look at, at the end of each chapter, there's, there's some examples, some like baseline examples, and then yeah. there's transcription. Yeah. You know, that's right. how the chapters yeah, yeah, yeah. were. So those baseline examples were the ones that he had, uh, you know, kind of, kind of demonstrations of the concepts he was working on. So yeah. I would have to like look through those and kind of figure out what concept is he using here and how would a student get from point point A of knowing nothing to point you know Z, which is which is uh, playing all these crazy crazy like you know bass lines with like quintuplets and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. so you know, which was cool, which is a, a cool brain exercise. You know, I really had to create a method. You know, he gave me the 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 destination. I had to figure out the route. Of, you of have to figure out to get people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that was cool. So then I started, you know, just expanding on that, making it organized, making it interesting. And I would just email them to him. You know, sometimes I would, I would, I would meet with him. Sometimes I would, most of the time I would just uh, talk to him on the phone, you know, and yeah. And, uh, and I, 
I got it done. I got the whole book done pretty quickly. I mean, it was it was in my first year of being in New York, so I had some spare time to deal with. Uh, so so you know, I put the whole thing out in like you know maybe eight months. So really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I was really focused. It's been a lot harder. I mean, it's been it's already been over a year since the book came out. It came out in March twenty fifth of two thousand fifteen. And, you know, finding now that I'm actually playing a lot, it's been a lot harder to find time to do, you know, the volume two. Volume uh, two, yeah. Is that is yeah. that something you're working on then? Yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be a longer book, too. It's it's a little, you know, so it's, it's it's a combination of it being a little overly ambitious and and also like having less time, you know, more that I want to do, less time to do yeah. it. And there's other and there's <laughs> yeah. other things. There's other things I'm very involved in, too. You know, some other uh, like like right now, I would say the the thing that I'm most involved in which has been going on for about a year and a half. I, I moved to, I, I've been in, I've been in, in New York, back in New York for a little over two years now. Yeah, right, yeah. So, so, um, so, uh, really, my main project at the moment is, I've been involved in this, uh, this thing called, it's called Salsondria, and it's, it's run by, uh, uh a guy named, uh, Danny Odria. He's a New York native, uh, yeah. he's from Washington Heights originally, and, um, he actually started out as a dancer, uh, going to all these like dance socials, you know, these Cuban dance socials and salsa dance socials yeah. in the New York area. And um, but he's uh, he also fell in love with live music because a lot of the a lot of these socials and stuff they're all DJ driven and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he started getting really into like the live Cuban bands in New York that were playing around at the time. But you know, he wanted to merge the two things together because he saw this disconnect between the dance community and the live music community, which obviously that's, that, that, that doesn't make sense. Why yeah, should that, yeah, yeah. why should, why should there be a disconnect? You know, that, that's stupid. So he started organizing his own, um, his own parties, basically dance parties where he would yeah. get a live band. He figured out that, you know, you know, if I pay, if I pay musicians a hundred dollars a piece, I can basically get whoever I want in, in, uh, in New York, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, so he started, you know, getting all these like really, like really badass, you know, Players, guys, yeah. you know, Cuban, Cuban, and you know, people involved in the Cuban music scene. Obviously, not everybody is Cuban, and you know, yeah, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and you. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but when I came along, uh, we met like I think like a couple days over Thanksgiving, uh, you know, like two Thanksgivings ago, and uh, I, uh, you know, I was just subbing you know, um, or depping as you guys say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but he didn't really have any real regular guys, but he needed somebody that night, a friend of mine. Uh, I was recommended through, uh, Jacob Plaz, who, uh, I was playing in a band called Peli Roja with and, um, you know, which has uh, a lot of great players in it. That's a, yeah, you know, yeah. I, sh- I should mention more of the thing. I keep forgetting to mention the stuff I actually <laughs> do, but like, uh, I'm terrible, terrible at marking myself, but like, um, but anyway, so but that really that was one of those projects that really turned into an ongoing thing because he yeah. was like booking these these parties all the time. I mean, we're talking about like multi, sometimes multiple times a week. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um at the time it wasn't quite that frequent, but it got there. And and but but doing like real timba repertoire. I mean, like doing the real shit and yeah. you know, and only doing that. Yeah. Like basically saying that we're not going to do what everybody else is doing where they're mixing old Cuban songs with you know, traditional stuff with, you know, just to, just to make certain people happy. He didn't care about that. Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to do this and, but he's not, you know, he's not a trained musician. So, um, he was like playing like auxiliary percussion, singing coro and stuff like that, which he's actually good. He's good at yeah. those things. 
And, um, and uh, so he needed a guy to, uh, to transcribe arrangements for him. So you're doing that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we, and you know, like I, I've got like over, right now I have like over 30 of them, you know, <laughs> you know, full, fully, fully done. So, so that became, that became, and still is, uh, you know, the thing I'm most involved in. I'm actually trying to, trying to see what else, you know, cause you know, it's gotten to be pretty big here in, 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 yeah. uh, in New York and I'm trying to see. So is that happening every week? Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing, I'm playing with them tomorrow night and, uh, like where can, is there a website so we can send people to No, the that's one of the things I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually like, like, uh, create it, make it into something. There, there's a Facebook, there's Facebook, there's a Facebook. Well, we'll link yeah, it there's in the Facebook. show notes so people can check it out and see. Sure. Sure. You know, sure. Because sure. we've got loads of people in the New York right. area. So they might want to come along and, you know, yeah, well, there's a botanic lab, uh, in, in kind of near Chinatown that happens every Tuesday. Uh, like tomorrow I'm playing with, uh, playing with him at Lumos, which is, uh, in the village, uh, or like on, on Houston and, yeah, yeah. uh, LaGuardia. But you know, we play at SOBs, we play at Subrosa, we you know it's like it's I mean, there's we'll, a whole we'll stick it in the show notes, man, because I'm sure some some people yeah, will yeah, come yeah, along yeah. and hang out and stuff. So but I'm trying to expand on that. Like I'm actually, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, figure out how to like apply for like grant funding to actually like, you know, take it on the road, you know, uh, the full thing, and, yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, maybe collaborate with um, you know, uh like college big bands, you know, and things like that, yeah. you know, and and you know, just kind of get get stuff going on outside of New York, just to because it's such a special idea. It's such yeah, a unique yeah. idea. It's the organization of things like that. That's always the pain in the ass. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah. that's, that's where the the real work happens. You know, getting well, that's that stuff the thing. And 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 it's yeah. And luckily, I'm pretty good at that stuff. So you know, I learned a lot from you know being on the road with Marvin and seeing the way that they did it. Yeah. Also, there's a group that I'm I tour with right now uh, called uh, Ola Fresca, which is like an original. Uh, kind of Cuban salsa group based out of Brooklyn. Uh, Jose Conde is the uh, the leader of that, and they, you know, we're uh, next week. We're uh, I'm going on tour to. I'm actually playing in Syracuse. So I'm one of the stops. So oh really? Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah. But we're, we're going. So I'm going to hook it up in the links, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's you know, but as a cool thing, you know, it's like that's a, that's also a great way to see like what what festivals and and venues outside of New York are, yeah, are looking yeah, yeah. For, for stuff like that. So. For any, for any players, Ian, that, that really want to get into the, the Latin thing, the Cuban thing, before I let you go, you've got to tell us what your sort of like, your main bits of advice would be for these guys that want to kind of like, if they haven't really got into it at all, what should they start listening to? And if they sure. are listening to it, what kind of, you know, what kind of, who should they be checking out? Well, the, the important thing uh, is that, for one, you've got to make a distinction between latin dance music and latin jazz because latin jazz is really jazz yeah so you know and a lot of the best latin jazz guys i know have a really good grasp of playing latin dance music you know and uh that's that's a big one um you know really understanding you know like gaining knowledge about the genre itself you know who the who the great bands are who the great you know artists are and also which one you like the most yeah because there's so many different styles of salsa alone and that's that's a very that's just a one particular part of of latin music as a whole you know there's all sorts of different kinds of south american music like like music from venezuela music from peru music from uh you know and i'm i'm just even just talking about like afro latin stuff yeah. you know there's even there's non you know african diaspora uh latin music too from all different parts of latin america so you know it's a very broad um it's a very broad topic and, and, uh, and 
there it's it's a matter of which one interests you the most because there is a niche to be found, you know, in in any of those styles, yeah. you know. So, so and also, but also, patient, you know, the patience of understanding that it's not going to happen right away, and it takes a lot of. Um, for some me, some people might take to it quickly. I don't know. I didn't. It took me many, many years of making a complete and utter idiot out of myself on stage <laughs> with people. You know, not having the right sound, not not knowing, like the whole thing I talked about, not knowing what the percussion parts were and how to yeah, yeah, yeah. how to lock in with that. You know, that was such an epiphany for me. You know, because nobody told me in very many words that that was what you were supposed to do. You know, or yeah, how no, or how yeah. or the mechanics the mechanics of how that worked. Yeah. So yeah. so um. And, uh, and, 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 and of course, you know, if I'm in a, there, there are certain styles of Latin music that I don't know very well that, you know, because I, you know, they, cause I don't know those nuances and details. I sometimes will feel like a fish out of water doing them because, uh, you know, they use different kinds of, uh, concepts of how the, you know, the, 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 uh, percussion and, and bass fit together. There, there, there are some universal things that, yeah, you know, yeah, cross yeah, between yeah. genres, yeah. but they are, they are different, you know, like. Playing salsa is not going to prepare you for playing like you know Peruvian festejo or Londo or things like that. I love that stuff, and I actually do, you know, play a little bit of that stuff and, yeah. and you know really into that. But but like for instance, um, you know, uh, like uh, certain kinds of uh, like uh, like some certain kinds of like obscure like folkloric like like Colombian Afro folkloric stuff. I don't really know a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like like, and I would not. I would not confidently say that I play it, you know. So um, that's that's the thing, you know. It's like making those kind of distinctions and realizing that there's a lot of variables at play, and you can only get good at so many things, and you know, and Absolutely. it's okay, yeah. you know. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Being comfortable with not being amazing at everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. You got to have your thing, you know, and and um, obviously you need to be versatile enough so you can work as a musician, you know. Yeah. But but. Uh, you know, I mean, I had to make I had to make conscious decisions to, to 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 consciously uh, concentrate in uh, practicing alliteration yeah. and uh, um, in in a specific style because you know that was was speaking to me and I, you know, I was like, well, I could. There's other things that I could do in 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 New York that would probably make me more money right away. I could, I have experience as a wedding band musician and I I could go and do that if I wanted to, yeah. but. You know, I came here to do this. I really need to try to concentrate in this, and and you don't get very many chances to to, to do that. So, man. absolutely, man. Uh, can, Ian, yeah. can I say, man? I think your story is super, super inspiring, man. Like I really do, Thank and you. I think uh, loads of the guys, that are, loads of the guys and girls that are listening to this will find the same thing. I think you know, it's just really fresh to hear your whole progression right through to where you are now, and just how you've really carved a you know, a thing out for yourself. I absolutely yeah, think it's uh, just a great thing to you. hear the, the inner workings of how you've done that. But um, so what we're going to do is link to all the stuff that you've put in the show notes. I'm also going to link yeah. to your book as well. Um, yeah. And actually, actually, there was one thing I forgot to plug. Which, oh, go for it. Uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, the Chambo Corniel Quintet album that just came out. Uh, I'll the, stick a the, link to that as yeah, well. Is that yeah, available that's, that's, on iTunes, yeah? Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure. I know that it's available on Amazon. Right well, I'll, I'll stick a link. To, yeah, 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 I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll send you all that stuff. And uh, but that's been a, another really cool thing that I've been involved in, and that that was uh, an amazing experience. Chembo's oddly enough, he's a guy that's he's a New York native that 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 um, that's been involved in all of the 
great. He's played with all the great salsa guys, but he also yeah, has yeah. this. Um, you know, he's, he's he's had all these albums, these Latin jazz albums under his own name, and he kind of hired this new band of like different guys, and he usually uses. And I was lucky enough to be to get one of them. To get the yeah, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's a very different album than his other albums. His other albums are way more in that kind of like Fort Apache kind of uh, yeah, yeah. kind of sound, Jerry Gonzalez kind of sound. Yeah. And this one is. You know, there's a lot more. There's a lot more young guys in the band. You know, there's me, me Darwin Nagara, and and Yoel um, Mateo, who's a great drummer who, who, from Puerto Rico, who who uh, is about the same age as me. And uh, so we bring kind of a different. We didn't. We didn't really. Li- I mean, we listened to all that kind of stuff that that he came up yeah. in. But we came up in that like post, you know, Danilo Perez kind of yeah, you've, you've kind got of world, something so, else as well going on. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. What so kind of gear are you using? By the way, I always get told oh, yeah, not yeah, asking yeah, about yeah. gear. Of, of, what of kind course. of gear are you using? Um, well, uh, uh, I should have actually kind of gotten some of it out. I'll get my main bass out. I, I won't bore everybody with the details. Do it, man, do it, do it. Okay, so um, hopefully you guys can see this okay. This is uh, my Sadowski. Yeah. Yeah, my Sadowski M5. I've had it for about three years now. I actually had a uh, – I used to have a four-string MV, the, the modern vintage. Oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is – I have to say that was the, the best-sounding fretted electric bass I've ever had. But, you know, unfortunately with the styles of music I play, I need a low B. You so. need that low B, yeah. Yeah, and at the time, you know – I was super broke and, and, you know, had to trade it in for this one. Cause, oh, so you, you couldn't keep it. No, I couldn't keep it. I, I couldn't <laughs> keep it. You know, it was just one of those. But luckily, I actually live, I live a mile away from the Sadowski shop now. <laughs> it's right down 21st from me. So, um, so I, I, you know, it's a real short drive, you know, just get my car, go down there. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, and what amp do you use? I use uh, currently. I, I use uh, my cabinet is a Green Boy Audio uh, Fearless uh, 112, yeah. which is amazing, absolutely incredible. Um, Do you know Ed Friedland? Of course, that's where I got the idea from. Oh, because right, Ed Friedland yeah, yeah. is super. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, all yeah, over yeah. it, man. No, 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 no. I it is astonishingly good, and um, but because it's 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 basically a PA speaker that's yeah. made to handle bass, bass frequencies. So yeah. Like a PA speaker, you need a very powerful amp to power it. It kind of eats up a lot of wattage. So, oh, yeah, so. Yeah. but anyway, um, so that's my, so this is really, this is, at the moment, this is actually my only fretted electric bass. Yeah. I have, uh, I also have a Kali U bass, uh, the, the solid body American made one, which yeah. is great. Um, I, you know, that, that, I love that thing and playing it's awesome and obviously it's easy to transport and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lot of band leaders, which is funny because it sounds as good or better than a baby bass sometimes, depending on the room. Yeah. But, like, band leaders just hate the way it looks. Yeah. It so looks pretty of, freaky. It does look it looks, freaky. Yeah, it does. So, you know, you know, and it was funny, like, like I, the first gig I ever brought it on was I was playing with Los Acheros, who are a really great, like, uh, kind of neo-son band, yeah. you know, here. And um, I showed up. We were playing at, we were playing an outdoor gig, and I... You know, I, I pulled up. I you know, I pulled up in my car and put this like tiny little pack in my back, and yeah. like they're like at me, like, like what the hell? Is that? I took it out, and they still were looking at me weird. And then like, and, and they were like, what? And I said, just trust me, just trust me. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and I plug it in. We played like one song. Lead singer turns around, just goes like, yeah, like you know, like, oh my god, you know. So you know that was the talk of the day. But um, you know they they're, they are incredible. But uh, but I do have I have a I have a KK baby bass actually yeah. as well you know made right in the UK yeah. and uh, 
And, uh, but I would say, I would say even so, even if I'm doing like traditional stuff, I'd say 90% of the time I'm playing this thing. It's on the Sadowski, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just because, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I like playing, I like playing uh, baby bass, but, you know, I mean, I don't play upright that much anymore, and I, I, you get tired really fast, so, you know, it, it can be kind of, <laughs> you know, I mean, all my, all my intonation's still there. For some reason, that doesn't go away. I'm thankful for that. Um, because you shedded it for hours when you were Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 but, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a chore. It's a chore. The, it's, it's a lot of work for the sound, so. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it's cool, but that's, that's pretty much, oh, and my, my head is, uh, uh, Galleon Kruger MP, M, MB 800. Oh, so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super which, powerful. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's and, and, and pretty, pretty transparent sounding. So, yeah, yeah. which is, which is cool because you don't really need a whole lot for this, you know, and, and, uh, this is a bass that sounds pretty good as it is. So, uh, that's why I use them, you know, and, um, absolutely, man. And I yeah, actually, and, I love the, the GK heads. I think they're really, really cool. You know, I think certain well, head like brands seem to like go in and out of fashion. I, well, you know, I just yeah. love the GK heads. Well, a lot of Latin guys actually do use GK heads for some yeah. reason. I think I think they have a certain kind of um, lo, uh, like a certain amount of beefiness to them that works well for that style. A certain like frequency in the mid range, I think, that works well for that style of music yeah, without yeah, getting. Yeah. So, like again, you know, it was partially that, and I was using a different head before that just really wasn't working. So I I, I got rid of it for this one. And it works. It, it it works well with the with the Green Boy somehow. So um, yeah. yeah, some heads and some cabs just work well together, don't they? Exactly. So so and but it's as loud. I mean, like I just use that. I mean, that's really that's that's my rig. You know, Amazing, I use it for man. everything. Yeah, yeah. Ian, man, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. As I said, everybody, all the links in the show notes. If you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you go over to the website and check it out because that's where the show notes are. If you're on the website already, just scroll down the page and you'll find them. Ian, you're an absolute star, mate. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you. Take it easy, man. Bye, guys. Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Ian Stewart. Again, massive thanks to you, Ian, as well, if you're listening. Um, I've put a link to all, you know, videos and all those types of shenanigans on the show notes of this episode. So if you want to check that out, just go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 33. That's the number 33, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode 33. And remember, if you're an Academy member, not only can you watch the video version of that interview because we filmed it as well, but Ian has also just a few weeks ago, uh, a month or so ago, did a, a live seminar for all the Academy members over at scottsbasslessons.com. He actually had a conga player with him. It was a live stream thing, and he talked about, you know, how to get into Cuban, how to get into Latin music, the clave, and all those all of those type of things. And that is recorded for you if you are an Academy member. Just go log into your account at scottsbasslessons.com. Go through to the seminars archive page, and you'll find Ian's seminar in there. It's a uh, it's over an hour long, real real juicy information, guys. If you're not into Latin music already, it's 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 such a great way to develop your rhythmic the rhythmic side of your bass playing. It really is. So I do recommend that. So if you are an Academy member, go check that seminar out within the seminar archive. Okay. Now again, thanks again for listening, guys. Next week we've got. Todd Johnson with with us. Todd is just such a great bass player, freakishly good bass player. He plays a six string. He ha- he plays chords. He's got a really interesting story. You'll find all out all about it next week on the podcast. But just a little snippet for you. Something that I was really it just 
it really touched me really when he told me, and you'll obviously hear about it next week, but Todd was one of the busiest guys on the Las Vegas music scene, okay? He was playing in all the shows and doing that whole thing in Las Vegas. And he actually gave up everything and then went back to school. He went back to music school, moved to Los Angeles, back into MIT, um, and ended up studying with guys like uh, Gary Willis when he was in MIT. And he did this because he was just, he found that, and he felt like he just wasn't really reaching his full potential. And, and there was so much more for him to learn. So even though he was a really established bass player in Las Vegas, he actually threw that all in, moved to Los Angeles, went back to school, went, bent, went to MIT, studied with guys like Gary Willis and ended up teaching at MIT. How cool is that? And anyway, has gone on to be, you know, one of my favorite bass educators, bass teachers of all time. I absolutely love the stuff that he puts out. And on top of that, He's, uh, he's been involved in the academy and he's done live stream seminars for us in the past. So they're in the, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. So look out for that episode of the SBL podcast coming next week. And as always, guys, take it easy and I'll see you in the shed. Mm-hmm.